High Praise Podcasts. everybody, welcome to the podcast. Glad you are watching or downloaded today. Uh, it's going to be really great, great discussion uh, we're going to have today. I've got one of my closest friends in the world here with us, Pastor Casey Doss. It's good to have you, Casey. Good to be here, my friend. Yeah, man. We go back a long way. <laughs> I, last night, we figured it was almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. As a matter of fact, like whenever we first met, I think you and Lindsay had just gotten married. We either was about to get married or had just gotten married. Yeah. Or, or, yeah so. It was right around that time, and she's 17 now, so it's been right at 20 years. Yeah, Miranda and I were like just met. Okay. Neither of us had kids, and now between your family and my family, there's like seven kids. So we've been yes, through a yes. lot of life changes. You were not in your new building here. Nope. You were in the old building. We were talking about this. We were in the old building. You were traveling with Chosen at the your time. Your dad says a male dancer. Male dancer. <laughs> That's right. And we piled like 8,000 oh people in gosh. that room. I still remember it, and I remember it being it, unbelievably hot yeah was it in the summer i think it was i think it was in the summer that building can hold like three 350 people and you know we had we had that many on the stage almost yeah right <laughs> there was almost no chairs in there yeah. everybody's just piled on top of the floor everybody just drenched in sweat oh i remember it vividly yeah it was crazy i it think was, bishop hammond was there he might have been yeah it was a it was wild we did that several times before we got in the new building Yes. But since then, we've obviously become really tight and talk all the time. And every day. Just about every day. Texting, yeah. yeah, so in like 18 threads together. So. <laughs> That's right. So, but it's good. It's going to be a good talk. So last night, or uh, when you just were here with us, you ministered and, and talked about Our God Reigns. Mm -hmm. And we talked a lot about power, a lot about um, systems of this world versus the kingdom that is to come. Right. So I figured we talk a little bit about that today, and uh, in obviously in this format, we can elaborate even a little bit more, even on what you shared last night. So why don't you kind of, for which by the way, that is on our sermons podcast, so if people haven't heard that yet, you may want to go, pause this, go to the High Praise Sermons uh, uh, section on mm -hmm. iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from, download that, and then come back to this conversation where we right. can talk a little bit more in depth, but... If they're not going to do that, can you just give everybody, fill everybody in just kind of real quick, yeah. kind of on what you shared last night, and then we can talk about it a little bit more? The whole idea last night that I, that I don't know that it, it came across, but what I was trying to say was I was trying to, in some ways, help the church. And I don't mean high praise. I mean the church mm -hmm. in whatever ways I can kind of think through how we should envision the church's interaction with the world yeah. and with, as we said, the systems or the kingdoms of this world. Another word for that would be politics, how the church should be engaging in these sorts of spaces. And I think, you know, I was pastoring in Knoxville during the last election, and I really saw, at least our people there, really reaching for somewhere to land because if you if – you, get your your beliefs or your convictions or your philosophy of things from social media, you're going to be terribly confused. And so I really started thinking through how should we envision the church's relationship to the kingdoms of this world. 
And then I started reading a lot of Bonhoeffer. I was in seminary at the time, so I was having to read a lot of Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer's well known for his sort of his political theology and for sure his stance with Hitler and things of that nature. And we can talk about that more if, if we need to. But I believe I'm I'm of the persuasion that the only proper way for the church to think about their engagement with the world is we have to look at the kingdom that is to come. Right. Our the church the church has a temporary vocation. Once the kingdom of God comes, the church will not be needed, mm-hmm. right? The church is a temporary expression, meant to be a temporary expression of that kingdom that is to come. That was one of the texts we talk about, talked about last night in Ephesians. The church is the, the manifold wisdom of God making known to the principalities and power, ma- making that wisdom known to the principalities and powers. And the wisdom they're making known, that we are making known, is the kingdom that is yet That's to right, come. That's right, which is the God's wisdom. And, and of course, it, that totally rethinks power structures and the, mm-hmm. way, the way the world works. And so I think for Christians, we really ha- if we want to know how to think about this properly, we really need to wrap our hands around what the kingdom that is to come looks like. And, and all through the scriptures, there's political language surrounding what that looks like. Our God reigns. That is a political a political idea that John says there in the Revelation, or even in when Paul's writing to the churches in Rome, if you confess Jesus is Lord, we this is lost on us because we think it's just the utterance, Jesus is Lord, oh, you're saved. No, he means Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. It is, right. it is a rebellion against the way that things are. And I think understanding the kingdom is crucial for the church to have any sense of herself and how she should be living and engaging with with the kingdoms right. of this world. Because obviously one of the things that we see or we hear, uh, let me back up, let me say it this way, we have like two ditches on either side of the road. You have one that is like Christianity, the Bible, Jesus, none of it was political. You're right. And then we have this other ditch on the side that says, it's very political and it's for my political side. Yeah, exactly. And in reality, it's neither of those neither things. Of those. Both of those should be rejected outright. Because right. what we want to do is we want to say Jesus doesn't care about politics until the people we like are in power, and then we go Jesus is fully on their side. Right. Or the person that we don't like is in power, and then it's like he's fully against them. <laughs> right. That's right. And what we don't realize is Jesus is for all of them. Mm-hmm. But he is not for necessarily the political power that they wield. Right. He's for their hearts, their souls. But it's not about getting his guy in power. Which, once again, just to clarify, so people don't misunderstand. It's not saying we shouldn't vote or we shouldn't engage with politics no, no, no. or anything like that. But what it is saying is that's not the kingdom. That's right. Exactly. And, <clears throat> again, for the church to ever understand herself, we have to have some some place to land. And typically, like if people hear us say the word politics, uh-huh. especially in in the circles we run in and in America, people automatically hear Republican or Democrat, mm-hmm. left or right, liberal or conservative. And I don't mean any of those things right. when I say the word politics. When I say politics, I mean I mean the way human beings in a community should order their lives around love and justice. That's yeah. what that's how I define politics. That's good. And Augustine famously said this that in the kingdom to come 
men are friends, so justice will not be needed. That's the Christian vision. All of us gathered around a shared table, reconciled, enjoying one another, and enjoying God. That's the kingdom to come. So the church should be living into that reality now as much as possible. The challenge is, is how do you do that in the system that we have? Well, the first thing I think is, is you have to completely eradicate thinking in politics in these in these polar opposite distinctions. Mm-hmm. I think I think when you start there, you're completely uh, misguided. I think it's going to be very difficult for you to think Christianly about any of those, about any 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 sort of real way that the church can engage when you're bound to those categories. Part of the issue is is we've let our culture and social media define the terms that we talk and think in. Yeah. For example, if you take what's a big what's a big abortion, for example. Social media and the culture has already instantiated the only two ways you can talk about that. Mm-hmm. You're either this or that. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's no other alternative. There's no other way of thinking. And so we buy into the lie that we are bound to talk about it only in one of two ways. And then we go so far to say, well, if you're Christian, you're clearly on one side or the other. And it's not just about abortion. It's about every issue right. that ever comes Welfare up. or whatever right. it might be. Borders, guns, right, you know, right. military, whatever the case may be. And that has to be rejected outright, completely and utterly rejected. It's an oversimplification. And whenever we speak about the kingdom of God or engaging with the world or what it means to be the church in simplicities, I think we're totally confused. Yeah, we try to simplify things that are very, very deep. Right. Or we try to make theological issues out of things that aren't theological issues That's at right. all. So earlier you mentioned you mentioned Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're referencing Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who um, probably culturally is most famously known for being right. involved in a, in a plan to try to take mm-hmm. out Hitler. Uh, but Bonhoeffer... I mean, if you've never read Bonhoeffer, I know you have, but if any listeners have never read Bonhoeffer, mm-hmm. it's a really interesting Absolutely. person to read. How did Bonhoeffer kind of view, because obviously he was um, uh, was involved at some level with some political uh, maneuvering, I guess, if you want to use that term, with Hitler and, right. you know, not in a positive manner. <laughs> but how did Bonhoeffer view these things? Because I know he talks a lot about it, especially mm-hmm. about the kingdoms of this world. And mm-hmm. So how did Bonhoeffer kind of explain and view some of these things that we're talking about? And how is that formed then the way you view it? Yeah. So, again, for those that don't know, Bonhoeffer was a young um, German theologian, pastor. He had two PhDs by the time he was 23. He was a theologian before he was any sort of Nazi resistor or anything Mm -hmm. of that nature. And as the story goes, he famously resisted Hitler. And a lot of people think that Bonhoeffer, or let me back up and say this, whenever you hear people on the news or social media say things like, this is a Bonhoeffer moment. Yeah. They don't know what they're talking about. Rest assured they're they're clueless. Yeah. Um, Bonhoeffer had a, he was brilliant, number one, and he had a very well-developed, Theology, but his involvement with the assassination of Hitler, he was not engaged in any sort of violence. He was mm-hmm. nothing more than a courier right. passing messages. And even then, he came to the end of his life deciding that what he had done was sinful, engaging in that way. And of course, he gets executed by Hitler mm-hmm. two weeks to the day before the U.S. liberated the, the um, camp that he was at. Flossenburg, I believe, was the name of it. 
Um, but the way Bonhoeffer en- envisioned it was he was a Lutheran, so a German Lutheran, so he had been influenced by Reformed readings of Scripture. Right. And the not to get too too deep in the weeds, but this is the way it worked for Bonhoeffer. Scripture was, Scripture takes a couple of big moves. You have creation, and then you have the fall. All right, creation and then the fall. And for Bonhoeffer, after the fall happens, he says we should no longer call creation as we see it creation. It's become nature. Mm-hmm. That was a big distinction for him. You have creation, but it's fallen, so it's nature. And so the only hope for nature, the only hope for fallenness, is that Jesus is going to redeem, right? He's right. going to make all things new. But until that happens, remember, he's, a, he's reformed. So for him, there are two points to this reformed theology. You, are, you have the law mm-hmm. and then the gospel. That's just good old-fashioned reformed thinking, right. right? And for Bonhoeffer, the law was designed to preserve people until the gospel could come. So the law was given to Israel to keep them somewhat from self-destructing. So schoolmaster. Yes, until the gospel could come. And Bonhoeffer believed that that was the role that politics serve now. And so all the polit- all laws are meant to do is to keep us from self-destructing. The way we think about laws or politics is that we have a certain way of life that we love and enjoy. And it's called to protect that for us. That's what mm-hmm. we think God's interested in. But God's not interested in that at all. Because most of the time, whenever it, it's good for me, it's bad for somebody else. Mm. Whenever I win, somebody else typically loses and right. vice versa. And Bonhoeffer didn't envision that way. That law is, and politics are meant to hold societies together as much as possible until the gospel could come through. So whenever Bonhoeffer started resisting Hitler, he had a long, drawn-out process of how he even thought about this. So when injustice was in the world, when he begins to see the, the rumblings of injustice, his first step in his sort of resistance theology was, we begin by the church being faithful to the word. We should still be proclaiming the gospel, saying this is what the kingdom of God is going to look like, and the church is going to have to suffer. Suffering love, that's how we serve right. the world. We, we, we suffer. We are that alternative community that, you know, this is what Christians were famous for in the early centuries. When when widows and orphans were abandoned by Rome, Christians rush in to take care of them, mm-hmm. even to their own hurt or their own inconvenience. That was his vision of what the church was called to do, that we are representing a completely different kingdom and how that works in our world now, it might not, but that doesn't matter. The kingdom of God is what's real for us. Right. Because it may not work in our world, but we're not called to be part of this world. Precisely. We're showing a world that is yet to come. Precisely. So a lot of times whenever you preach the kingdom of God, the kingdom that is to come, people say, okay, well, how does that work here and now? It might not. Right. I mean, we are talking about two polar opposite realities here, mm-hmm. two polar opposite kingdoms. In, in the Revelation, what happens to the kingdoms of this world is not that they're redeemed. No. They collapse. The smoke rises. Yeah, from exactly. They collapse. The end of all human politics will be collapse. Mm-hmm. Not redemption, not brought up to their full glory, certainly not us sitting on top of all of it and imposing right. the will of God. They're going to collapse. They're going to, they're going to, it's going to sound, they're going to burn. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the thing is, 
over the past several years, there's obviously been a lot of thoughts and ideas. And I think a lot of times when you start talking this way, people think you're not talking quote unquote kingdom, Mm -hmm. but this is the most kingdom it can be. Mm -hmm. Kingdom is not, we take control of everything and put everybody else who's Mm -hmm. opposite of us under our dominion. That's not even the way that Jesus showed. Uh, You you talked about a little bit last night, something we've talked about like, Jesus shows the way of the kingdom is not through dominance, but through surrender and through serving. And what we have promoted largely, even especially in circles that we're in and around and familiar with, is this idea of we go in, we take over a certain sector, and then we put everything else, we say under the dominion of God, but what we really mean is under our dominion and what we want. Mm -hmm. Because the way of the kingdom is not that we make everybody do what we want them to do. It's That's that right. we serve the people who are opposite of us. Yeah, if, if Bonhoeffer would have heard us say something like, go into these spheres of society and take over, he would have been entirely confused by that notion. Yeah. You know, there's a line in Zechariah that says, it's not by might, it's not by power, by but the it's spirit. by the spirit. Right. But when we, we quote that all the time, but mm-hmm. I think what we hear, I think what we hear is, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit's power. Right. But that's not what it says. It's not by power, it's by the Spirit. The Spirit is always doing something different than what power is doing. Right. He's setting what the Spirit is doing over against power. We don't trust the Spirit to do that work. Mm. And so we have to we have to seize power. We have to seize control. There's a line in, in um, 1 Corinthians that I, I've, I've wrestled with for three or four years, and Bonhoeffer helped me see this, that when Paul talks about power, what he calls powerful is Christ's cross, a political death of an innocent man who was victimized, and as he is victimized, he forgives the world. There's a contrast there. This is a side note. There's a contrast there with, with David. You know, I've always, I thought this story was hilarious. You know, when David's dying, when David's on his deathbed, his last words are, he calls his sons together. He calls his son. He says, there's a list of people that I promised God I would not kill. Mm-hmm. But you didn't make that promise. <laughs> so, so when I die, loophole. <laughs> here's their names, right? But when Jesus dies, he dies saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they right. do. David dies with vengeance on his lips. We mm-hmm. die with, Jesus dies with forgiveness on his. But listen to the talk of the church. We're talking in terms of vengeance. Mm-hmm. We're talking in terms of retribution. We're talking in terms of, I didn't like how this played out, or my guy didn't win, or my guy did win, or whatever the case may be. And all of that is contrary to what Paul calls power, which is Christ, an innocent man dying on the cross at the hands of the state. Paul calls the power of God at work. What's interesting with that is we're always talking in the church today about God raise up the Davids. Right. And we don't need... We need Jesus. We need we need people raised up like Jesus, not <laughs> like David, and that's what you see with the with the with the apostles. Right, they die in the same manner that Jesus Absolutely. dies, and obviously, we're not saying we all need to be martyred. That's right. not or have a martyr complex. That's right. not what we're saying either. Well, there's a funny story. Like in the early church, when they started being martyred, because that was what happened. That's what happened. <laughs> people started getting so amped up about it, they started trying to go get martyred. Bishops would write. Letter saying, okay, y'all people need to calm down. Yeah, we're trying <laughs> don't to go try to we're get trying killed. to not get killed. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So what, what's really interesting is you made the comment last night about being an alien, mm-hmm. being a foreigner 
yes. to the current culture and kingdoms that we live yes. in. And I think what we've tried to do is as aliens tried to colonize, if you will, mm-hmm. the culture we're in, but that's not what we're called to do. Not at all. We are certainly, and, and uh, this is one of those interesting things, we could talk about this, like the difference and the idea of going and taking culture mm-hmm. versus being a light in culture. Right. And there is a there is a difference, mm-hmm. and there is that that line you have to walk, because obviously you're called to go. We're all going to be in culture, being in this world, but not of mm-hmm. it. And we should be a light right. inside of everywhere that we go, but that doesn't mean that you're called inherently to just be the one who takes I, it over. I say it this way: culture wars are not holy wars. Yeah, and for. I mean, what, 40 years? Oh, yeah. That's been the case. That's the hot buzz. Yes. Hot buzz word is the, the culture war. Right. I mean, I, I was I was scrolling, you know, doom scrolling through Instagram mm-hmm. the other day, and I saw a clip of a preacher going off on Taylor Swift being at Chiefs ball games. It's like, why would you feel? Why does it matter? Why? What would make you comment on something right. like that? She's watching her boyfriend play Unless football. Unless you... I mean, this culture warrior idea is utter nonsense. And the Jesus, the early church certainly didn't envision themselves right. as culture warriors. Called they weren't them. trying to redeem Rome. Not at all. They knew Rome was gonna gonna collapse, and it did. Jesus even prophesied, right. you know. And so, but back to Bonhoeffer. I want to make sure that I'm I'm saying this clearly because I have a hundred thoughts bumping around in my head. Sure. He believed that the role of politics, earthly politics. Or if you read Augustine, he writes a great book called The City of God, where he contrasts the heavenly city and the earthly city. Earthly politics for Bonhoeffer is to preserve order as we can, not an overabundance of order, that's tyranny, not no order, that's anarchy, but as much as we can hold societies together until the gospel can reach them. Mm. And any sort of if the church is to ever have any sort of resistance notion, that should be so far down. I mean, there's a lot of steps that Bonhoeffer takes us through before you should even consider something like that. Our, what we should be focused on right now is being that alternative community that is alien, that is we live life completely different. We literally think about reality itself and everything that that entails. We think about that differently. So for the average person who's listening to this, it's a school teacher or a mm-hmm. social worker or, you know, works at Walmart, what does that look like for them practically day in and day out of being that light pointing to a kingdom that is yet to come? Right. This is going to sound like such a cliche answer, but I really mean this. I think, first of all, I don't think that we've done a good job, me and your two pastors. I don't know that the church has done a good job teaching people how to think Christianly about anything. Uh And when I say that, what I mean is, back to Bonhoeffer, for him, the person of Jesus Christ was the center of reality. Mm. Jesus... As a, as a human being, names 
what life is to be for us. He is the perfect human. He's the true human. He shows us what human life is. It's not like there's a bunch of different ways to live your life, and Jesus just picked one particular way. I think even with that, we get confused because we talk about this. Well, you know, I sin because I'm human, or, oh, I did this because I'm human. That's entirely wrong. Entirely wrong. What it means to be human is to be an image bearer. Right. You're called to... To, you're created in God's image. You're called to reflect that your into sin the is world. dehumanizing you. Right. It is not making you more human. Your, uh, your sin is working against who you are right. as a human, and so you are most. And I and I grew up in Pentecostal worlds. I don't. You probably didn't, but I grew up in Pentecostal worlds that believed that in order for the Spirit to work, you had to get out of the way. Yeah. The more you could get your humanity out, right. The more the Spirit could work. But the reality is. The more fully the Spirit is at work, the more fully we are ourselves, the more right. fully human that we are. He is, he is bringing us into the fullness of what it means to mm-hmm. be human. And that is most closely seen in Jesus. Without, again, without getting too, too technical, Paul says this. He says, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus. Jesus, right. But if, Jesus if you've is, seen me, you've seen the Father. Yes, exactly. I and the Father are one. But Jesus is also the picture of what it means to truly be human. Yeah. That's what it means to be human. And so as human beings, the more we grow into that image, the more human we are becoming. Mm -hmm. The more holy we are becoming and the more holy we are becoming, the more humanly we are becoming. I don't think that Jesus is the center of reality for us. Jesus is a standard that is unattainable that I fall short of, and certainly we fall short of that. But we, we, we look at him as like a principle or a technique. Mm. But he's the center of reality. He's what it means to be a human creature. Right. He is what my human nature is built for, to look and engage and interact with the world in that way. And he does that in ways that scandalize us all the time. Right, right. right. That bother us. I said it last night. If you read the Gospels and you close your Bible and you're like, me and Jesus are on the same page. You didn't read that very closely. He's troubling from start to finish. I always grew up hearing people say Jesus was a simple teacher. He's most certainly not a simple teacher. Like, eat my flesh, drink my blood, or get out of my face. That's Simple teaching. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Um, Everybody walks away either wanting to kill him because they know exactly what he's saying or they're confused because they have no clue what he's saying. Absolutely. So for the Walmart worker, the Starbucks worker, how do we think about this? As the church, we have to exercise, and I don't mean exercise like working out. I mean exorcism. We have to drive out all of the ways in which we've let everything else define what is real, Mm-hmm. what is true, what is right or wrong. Culture's done that. Politics has done that. Being American has done that. Social media has done that. We have to exercise all of that. And Jesus has to return back to the center of reality. Because when we get in our little political spats, Jesus is looking at both of us condemning us. Yeah. Saying, neither one of you know what you're talking about. And the more you try to resource me as your mascot to drive home your point. Yeah the further away you're actually getting from who Jesus is, mm. you know. And so we've really got to rethink how we think about Jesus. Yeah. The human Jesus, which is also the human that we're that we're called to be, the kind of human we're called to be. Yeah. That's so good. That man. might be too theological or a No, that's great. I think and when you look at what Jesus 
says when he walks the earth, it's love your enemies. Right. You know, bless those who curse you. Yes. When everybody else thought he shouldn't be, he's washing feet. Right. Like he's literally, they're wanting. I think we I've, I've said this before. It's been said time and time again. But the same people who were one day shouting Hosanna to the son of David, bless us, he comes in the name of the Lord, a couple of days later are shouting crucify right. him. And the reason for it is because he looks weak. Yes. Right? So he's riding in, and they're thinking triumphant, even though he's riding on a donkey instead of a war horse. Right. But they are still viewing him as this triumphant, he's come to liberate us from Rome. That's right. And Jesus wasn't all that concerned with liberating them from Rome. He was concerned with liberating them from sin and death and the principalities yeah. and powers. Obviously, that's all manifested in Rome. Rome was going to have its end. Right. He comes but, driving out demons, not right. Caesars. Right. And they wanted him to drive out Caesars. And right. the reason they shot to crucify him is because he wasn't driving out Caesar. Right. He was willingly going to his death. Yeah. And I think for the Walmart worker, Starbucks teacher, whatever, is instead of going around rebuking everybody who's living in sin... What if we loved them where they were? Mm-hmm. What if we brought whatever? What if we drew a bigger circle to include them, yeah. rather than trying to make our little holy clique of four people that we work with and disinclude all the people that don't meet our holiness standards? Yes, I, I've, I, I think you've said it. I think I stole it from you. Um, and I said it a few weeks ago when I was whenever I was preaching. Like if we won't welcome them to our tables then we have no business ministering to That's them right. at altars. 100%. And we want them at our altars, yes. but we don't want them at the break room table. That's with us. right. And one, of the, one way you get them to the altar is you embrace them at the break room table. Absolutely. You take them to lunch. You love them where they are. Because we have this idea that, that loving someone where they are is somehow putting a stamp of approval on right. their activity, right. and it's not. Right. Jesus, you talked about it last night with, with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus goes to, uh, or excuse me, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus's house yes. before Zacchaeus ever repents, and he's corrupt. Right, he's and deeply. Corrupt. He's a lot more corrupt than the coworkers that people Absolutely. are working with, and Jesus still goes to his house. Mm-hmm. Jesus still invites him into his world. And as far as we know, never preached a sermon. No, we don't ever see it recorded. Right. But there was obviously something about Jesus. That's right. What if we lived in such a way that there was something different about us, just in the way that we lived? Something alien. Right that when people look at it, they go, I've never seen this before. Mm -hmm. Because they've seen plenty of religious and quote-unquote church people that are condemning, that are this, that are that, that have this us versus them mentality. And Jesus never demonstrates the us versus them thing. He's always inviting everyone in. If if it's us versus them, he's always on the side of the weak, the broken, the marginalized. He's not, you know, like that. I remember... I don't know how how much of this we should say. You can edit this part out if you need to. I remember when January 6th happened. Yeah. And as soon as, I mean, everybody's watching get appalled. And I remember <clears throat> pulling up Facebook, which was mistake number one, and started scrolling through. And I saw all these Christians and preachers referencing Jesus in the temple, <laughs> driving people out of the temple. I'm like, you know, we always read ourselves into the best parts of the stories. Right. We're always Joseph. We're never Joseph's brothers. Right. We're always Jesus. We're never Peter. Or we're always Peter. We're never Judas. Jesus is driving us out. 
right. of that temple. If we're going to be in that story, we're not Jesus driving out everybody we don't like. Jesus is driving out the self-righteous and the mm. judgmental. Right. There is, there's another thing that Bonhoeffer does before I get that to your point. You never see Jesus recoiling from right. sin and brokenness. Right. Anywhere in the Gospels. He's moving toward those things. And to the degree that we recoil from that is to the degree that we're not like him. Yeah. And Bonhoeffer would talk about it. He, he kind of split it into two categories. He called it ultimate and penultimate things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ultimate and penultimate. The ultimate thing for all humans is that they hear the gospel, that they come to faith, that they believe in Jesus. The penultimate things is, okay, now what do you do with those people that have not heard that gospel, that are living in ways that are just you know outrageous? And the way he thought about it was this. If all your focus is on the ultimate, he called that radicalism. Mm. And he believed that radicalism would decimate the church, that radicalism needs driven out. But if you have, if all you do is focus on penultimate things, where people are, being with people, we approve, we approve, we put our stamp of approval on this, that, or the other, he called that compromise. For Bonhoeffer, the gospel doesn't change. The demands of the gospel don't change. And he brilliantly does this, but when he talks about meeting people in their daily lives, he would use the language of John the Baptist. He would say, mountains need brought low, low places be made high. In other words, the church is called to make the path to the gospel as smooth as possible, yeah. as simple as possible, mm. creating no hindrance for them. Yes, we want them to hear the gospel, but in the meantime, our job is to draw them as close as we can and then trust Jesus. We even see that when it talks about like not being a stumbling block. Yes, that's right. And we take that and make it about if you go to a movie theater or not. Right. And it's so much more than that. Absolutely. And there's so much, there's so many, the things that we stress over, you talked about this a little bit when you were preaching, like about being holy and what it means to, to die to ourselves, mm-hmm. crucify our flesh. We think that means... Right, the music we listen to and the movie we watch, and obviously there's music you shouldn't listen to, movie you shouldn't watch. So we're not saying just do whatever you want; none of that matters. But we, the church, is pretty good at that stuff. Mm-hmm. Where we miss it is in loving our neighbor. Absolutely, is in reaching across the aisle to the person that has right. a different political philosophy or view right. than us. We miss it in all of those areas a lot more on making our little holy cliques and clubs mm-hmm. that nobody else is allowed into because sin is contagious or something. I, I don't know how that works, right, but right, apparently right, right. that's the way that we operate. I call so, it getting sinner juice. On right. Sinner <laughs> juice. That's right. If you get around a sinner, it's just going to jump on you, right. and, which is superstition. Right. That's all right. it is. It's Christian superstition. Yes. If I get around them, then it may just hop yeah. on me, Right. which is always bizarre to me because it, <laughs> it operates like the spirit that lives inside of you is inferior oh, sure, to yeah. sin, which is right. bizarre. Right. But, if there's one thing that I think the church should do a better job of to point to that kingdom that is to come, it is understanding that we are not against the people right. that, and even if you're, even if they feel like they're against me, that's fine. Right. But I'm not going to be against them. 100%. They can be against me. That, and Jesus does this. We see this with Jesus. They're against Jesus, but Jesus is not against them. That's right. Whenever they're getting ready to crucify him, Jesus doesn't pick up a sword. As a matter of fact, when Peter does pick up a sword, he tells him to put it away. And then he heals the damage that Peter did to one that was literally coming to kill him. That's right. 
literally coming to kill him. And Jesus is showing us this way of 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 laying down our lives of 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 sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And we think sacrifice is like you said, not going to that movie. Mm-hmm. But you can live without that, or and you even said it again last night, like boycotting whatever is the hot button issue <laughs> until we really need something, yeah. or like you said, you know, we'll boycott Disney Plus until the new Star Wars <laughs> drops, and then Jesus understands. <laughs> and the much bigger thing, the much more difficult thing, is loving those Absolutely. who curse you. Yeah. So when we were in Knoxville, we had a young man there that was, um, he was sorting through his sexual orientation. And then we had a girl on our staff. She was actually like my right-hand person for all things administrative that had come out of that lifestyle. And we had a lot of conversations. And I'm using I'm using like the L- LGBTQ um, dis- issue as, as an as a example. And we, we were talking a lot, and I learned very quickly that the issue... People's issue with the church as far as, by and large, there are exceptions, but by and large, the issue that the world has with the church, it is not the theological positions that we hold. Mm-hmm. It's how we hold those positions. Right. It's the spirit and the manner in which we hold those positions. It's the judgmentalism that comes with those positions. And when we have that self-righteous judgmentalism, you know, Jesus says this. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. We think that the truth is falling on the right side of certain issues or conversations. Well, I believe A, B, C, D, and so I have the truth. Right. That is not the truth. That is not what Jesus calls the truth. This is what I mean answering that question about the Walmart worker. The way we have to think about Jesus as reality has to change. You might fall on the right you might fall on the correct sides of these issues, but if you don't hold those issues the way Jesus would hold them, right, then you don't know the truth. Right. You can stack up all the Bible verses you want. You can memorize the New Testament, but if you don't hold all those verses with the Spirit of Jesus, you do not know the truth. Right. It's not just having the letter. The truth is not a book. The right. truth is a person. Right. And that book tells us about the truth. Right. Right. Somebody, I heard somebody say it this way the other day. Is the word of God inerrant? And they said yes. And when he was around 20, he grew a beard. <laughs> but we don't think of Jesus that way. Right. And so Jesus, it, Jesus doesn't have truth. He is, is the, the truth. truth. Right. He is the wisdom of God. He doesn't point the way. He is the way. And uh, he's the center of all reality for us. And so we have to hold whatever positions we take. That's fine. Debate that stuff. But you have to hold those things in a way that reflects the image of God. Right. Obviously, we, we want to be, quote, unquote, right yeah. more often than not. And, and, but, and obviously, there's things Scripture's clear on and mm-hmm. plain on, um, at least as plain as it can mm-hmm. be. Right. But then the way that we hold to those truths right. matters so much mm-hmm. that we don't wield the truth as a weapon. Right. And that's what we've that's what we've done. We've 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 wielded the truth as a weapon against people who aren't living yes. in that truth. And I tell people if you think the scripture is clear on homosexuality or abortion, you should really see what the scripture says about us treat how we treat one another. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and the I heard Dad say Dad said this a lot during twenty twenty and that course of time, and it stuck with me. And I know you've heard him say because we talked about it in, in text threads. 
you can never minister to people that you make an enemy of. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in the church, we have we've said we want to minister to the people who are in LGBTQ or the yeah. mom who's had an abortion or you know whatever it is, right. the person who is lost from our perspective. But then we make enemies of them. Hundred percent. And we can never make. We'll never reach them. That's right. You can't reach people with to see them delivered whenever you've made an enemy of them. 100%. You can't see them walk in freedom whenever you're constantly telling them how awful they are. That's right. And how terrible they are. And, and how put off you are by Yes, and how doing. disgusted you are. Even if, I mean, let's just be really honest. There are some sins that literally, when you think about it, yeah. and it makes you go, oof. Of course. But if people see you behave like, oof, mm-hmm. you've just shut the door to ministering to right. them ever because even though we don't believe it's necessarily their identity, whatever sin they're wrapped up in, right. in their mind, that is who they are. Yeah. And they don't see you recoiling at their at their sin yes. or what it's doing to them. That's right. What they see is you recoiling at them. Absolutely. You're not recoiling at what's... The, the way sin is making them inhuman, right? what they think is you're sitting there condemning them. That's right. I know you've probably heard me say this before, but I remember growing up, I always heard this phrase in my little church in brilliant Alabama that I yeah. went to, love the sinner. Hate the sin. Hate the sin. Right. But that's not what, you know, people that claim <laughs> to love the Bible the most are usually the ones that don't. Know it. Read it. Yeah, or know it. <laughs> I tell my Bible college students this all the time. I'm like, you say the Bible's the center of your world. How did we get the Bible? Right. How did we get the New Testament? Who canonized these 27? Like, I don't know. Well, you said you said you're staking your life on this, and you don't know who wrote Hebrews, or you right. don't know who wrote this. Other. But it doesn't say love the sinner, hate the sin. It says love your neighbor. Right. We called them sinners. God calls them our neighbor because we look at them as problems. And he looks at them as people. Right. And the only reason we should hate their sin, we hate their sin because of a couple of reasons. It offends us. Mm -hmm. It grosses us out. And we perceive it as a threat to our way of life. Yeah. We perceive it as a threat to our way of life. That if this this really starts exploding, I'm not going to recognize, you know, my country anymore or my state or my town anymore. Uh, It's a threat to us. We should hate sin precisely for the reason you said, because it's of what it's doing to the neighbor that we love. Right. And that's usually never in view when we talk about these issues. Right. It's it the threat no, of it. Yes. It has nothing to do with what it's doing to this person made in the image of God that God's called me to care for and move towards. It's making them less of an image bearer. Right. But it's that's that not our focus. No, it's not our focus. Our focus is, I don't like this. Right. It's not, it, it's I. Yes. It's not they. Yes. It's not this is making them mm-hmm. less than God who's called them to be. I don't like this. This makes me uncomfortable, da 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 da, da. And, it, and sin should make us uncomfortable, sure. obviously. That's not the debate here. It's right. a matter of how we approach that and approaching it rightly so we can effectively minister to them. Because if you're making them an enemy, you can't minister to them. It's 100% true. only thing you can do is try to slay them. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, Romans uses that language, while we were enemies of God, right? Christ died. Right. And... That's just not what we do. While they're enemies of us, we go on social media rants. Right. We preach sermons. We write books. We pick it in protest. We're not laying down our lives for them. Right. 
And that's what we're called to do. Yes. Because the only image that we're called to be conformed into right. is the image of Jesus. Yeah, and that's and the, he's the one who laid down his life for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died right. for us. So a lot of times, whenever, because that's it's real popular these days to talk about like what it means to be human is to be an image bearer, and Jesus was the perfect image of God. But Jesus, Jesus reflected God's image in a specific way. Right. By dying. Right. Dying, giving his life. For others. The thing that was most valuable. Yes, that's what we mean. What we see in Jesus on the cross is that God is infinite humility. Mm. God is infinite humility. God is the infinite expression of everything he calls us to be. He calls us to be gentle because he is pure gentleness. Right. He calls us to be patient because he is infinitely patient. God is infinitely humble. The Almighty, back to the power thing, the Almighty becomes Mary's baby. Right. The creator of the world becomes Pilate's victim. We do not have that attitude about ourselves. We're called to fix everybody and everything because we feel like we're fixed. Because, again, we don't watch the movies and right. we're not gay and we haven't had this abortion or we've not done that. We're... we're and Jesus is clear in the Gospels. Good people are so much harder to save than bad people. Yeah. So much harder to save. Yeah. It's it's our sp- our attitudes about ourselves and then others that that make it so difficult for us to know Jesus as he is. Yeah. We definitely need some reform in our thinking. Absolutely. In the church. And there's a lot of people that are great people. They're wonderful people mm-hmm. that they've just been so inundated by the incorrect perspective. Yes that uh, we just don't know. We mm-hmm. perish for lack of knowledge 100%. is what really happens more often than not. Because when you start talking about these things, people go, oh, mm-hmm. and they start adjusting. Yes. And it's so imperative that we do that, especially in today's world, and especially for not to go off on a whole other thing, and I don't want to take a lot more time, but with millennials and Gen Z and Gen Alpha that's coming up, like they're repulsed by self-righteousness mm-hmm. more than any other generation that I've ever seen. Yes. Like they just, the religious facade thing turns them off so fast. Right. And they don't mind mocking it. No, not at all. <laughs> and, and the thing is like, if, if the church wants to remain relevant in mm-hmm. culture, whatever that means, if we want to still have a voice and not go back underground, so right. to speak, and just be some little, footnote over on the side, Mm -hmm. we have to begin to love like Jesus Mm -hmm. once again and get rid of this drive for power that we have. Because even in Revelation, he appears as a lamb. That's right. Lamb is not some imposing force or creature. It's very, it's it's weak. That's right. Which isn't to say that Jesus is weak, Mm -hmm. because we obviously know. Right. He's not. Right. He's all powerful. But the way he shows us the imagery that and the the way that he shows his power is by saying, I could do all of this, but I'm gonna I'm not. Right. I'm gonna lay it down and serve. I'm gonna I, I could show myself as a lion, but I'm gonna show myself as the lamb. That's right. And I'm gonna let everybody know that I'm a suffering servant. Right. And Christians need to once again embrace that role of serving. We do it all the time here at the church. Like mm-hmm. I was telling you earlier, like we're hosting like five or six graduations right. in yes. May. We're not charging a penny. It's not like a, oh, this is a way that we can and you're make ho- some extra money on the side as and a you're church. you're hosting it not just for 
Church people. schools are Christian schools. No, yeah, these are these are public right. public schools that we're hosting it for, and just like we want to serve you. Mm-hmm. And they're so blown away when they come in and meet principals and administrators come in and meet, and they're like, "What's this going to cost? What's going to take?" We're like, "No, we're just, we're just doing this just because we love you." Absolutely. And as we've done that, guess what's happened? We've had more of a voice in those places. Of course. Not by dominating them yes. and telling them how awful they are, but by loving them and serving them and doing what we can to help them. Right. If we just love people, our voice. I, I feel like we tried to pick up a megaphone for so long, mm-hmm. and it's been a whisper because we've tried to be the megaphone. Yes. But if we would just love people, yes, it puts a megaphone in our hands. Hundred percent. To start proclaiming Jesus That's as right. the truth. I tell these people like, why are y'all doing this? Because we love Jesus. Right. We love our community because we love Jesus. Absolutely. And we want to be here for it. And if we're just there for people, family, friends, coworkers, whatever, in the middle of their mess, and we love them where they're at, there will be a, there, there will come a day with the majority of them where there's a light switch goes Absolutely. off. There's an awakening. And whenever they have a problem, they know mm-hmm. where they need to go. And that door begins to fling wide open for you to point to a kingdom that's yet to come and say, this is what I'm inviting you into. I heard of, I had a friend that would talk like that. He would say, what's happening with high praise and what you're doing, you're earning the right to be heard. Right. You're not taking it. You're not seizing it. You're not imposing it, but you're earning that right. Yeah. Yeah. It's good, man. It's been a good, good discussion. Awesome. Good talk. And, uh, thanks for coming on. Let's go eat some food. Yeah. Let's go (laughs) eat and we'll get you, we'll get you back on soon. We'll get you to come in and, and we'll uh, record some more. So, awesome. All right, everybody, make sure you, uh, Hit subscribe, like, comment, go on the YouTube, do all that kind of stuff. We'll be back soon with another episode. We'll talk to y'all later.